Good morning and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. This week we are focusing on a story that I am really excited about. Um, it's one that takes place in Boston and has been going on for a few years. But before we get too deep into the story, Gracia, what's been the drink of the week this week? Well, since we're doing brunch today, we decided to do mimosas. So we did them two ways. Um, in my years of bartending, restaurants have done different things to make their mimosas a little different. And I believe it was Legal Seafoods that did the Grammonier. And I always liked that one because it kind of broke down the acidity. So we did ours today two different ways. We did them with orange juice. Uh, we did Prosecco instead of champagne to make it a little sweeter. And then Grand Meunier in one of them. And the second one, we did the same two ingredients of the Prosecco and the orange juice, but then we did peach tree to make it a little sweeter on that side. And for our mocktail today, I found a blog that has, um, the woman was trying to do a brunch for like her office, but didn't want to bring champagne into work because, you know, I can't really do that. <laughs> um, it is found on the, the pinningmama.com. It's a skinny mimosa recipe. And basically what she adds instead of champagne is the um, polar seltzer with lemon. So Dave, what did you think of the mocktail this week? Well, I don't actually like seltzer. So, um, uh, so yeah, I, and you know, orange juice, it's not, you know, it's not like it's, I'll drink it, but it's not my favorite drink. So it's not you all know, around a loss. Yeah, so I, if you like seltzer and you like orange juice, you'll probably like it. <laughs> they oh, all can't be winners guys, right? Yeah. What did you guys think? The peach tree versus the Grand Marnier? Both were good. <laughs> Both were delicious. I believe they had two totally different flavors, though. Totally. It totally changed the drink. And i just like to say, I'm doing the uh, keto diet. So instead of orange juice, I used fresh-squeezed uh, grapefruit juice. And I thought it was still a really good drink. So I tried it as well, and it was delicious. Yeah. So that's a good option for any of you trying to cut out any extra sugar in your diet, like I am. And for you Greyhound fans, it might be something different where you can just use that grapefruit juice because if you like a Greyhound drink, you're going to have a lot of grapefruit juice in your house as well. Yeah, exactly. So we're helping you keep drinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's time for y'all, though, to take a big sip and a deep breath because this one is a doozy. Uh, this story is actually so big that this is going to be our first um, multi-part story. So this week we're presenting part one. And then next week, we're going to do a follow-up uh, to give you even more of the story because it really, it really grew into quite the large tale to tell. So, uh, this week we're doing The Drowning Men of Boston. For almost two decades, educated, athletic, intelligent men have been vanishing into the thin, chilly air in Boston, only to, appear, only to reappear, I guess, days, weeks, and sometimes even months later in the Charles River or another body of water basically in the city. Could these deaths be connected? Could it be the work of a serial killer? That's the question we're trying to answer today. And I'm so I'm going to present all of these stories of the men, get some feedback from you guys, and let you guys kind of form the question in your head and the answer is could these be connected or are they all just accidental? Sounds good. What did you say about those guys? They were intelligent? What, what? So what's interesting, yeah. Is <laughs> How do you know these guys are smart? <laughs> well, they're all well-educated, very intelligent people. Some of them are working on graduate degrees, uh, master's degrees in fields like architecture, aerospace engineering. Like, they, basically, these guys can all be sort of defined as 
the golden boys. They're handsome, they're athletic, they're successful. They're the probably, you know, the prom king. Shoot, I'd kill them too. Right. <laughs> <Dad>. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, I mean to interrupt. Okay. Thanks, Dad. Okay. You're so, anyway, moving on. Um, many sources who have presented this work. So, there's a lot of people, a lot of bloggers, a lot of YouTube shows that have covered this story as well. They'll sometimes refer to them as the vanishing men in Boston as well, just so you know, in case you're interested in looking up other people's work on it. But many of these sources um, point to one of the first victims being John DeVario, which was in 2003. I'm personally not sure if he's related. I don't really think he fits the profile um, because most of the men that we're going to talk about are between the ages of 18 and 24, and he is a lot older than that. Uh, but again, I want to just present all the information and let you guys decide on your own. So, and and kind of like we said last week, when they first start, they don't know what they like. Yeah, exactly. So, so he could, could be, be something like that. Could be. Could be. Yeah. So John was a professor at Boston University. He was 49, a devoted caretaker to his elderly parents, and a reliable professor. That's what they called him, a reliable professor. So I take that to mean like he wouldn't just walk off. You know what I mean? He would show up to work on time every day, do what he's supposed to do, that kind of stuff. Um, he was last seen leaving on March 16th, 2003, at approximately 8.30 p.m. He was wearing a red jacket and carrying a white bag. In his office, he'd left behind his wallet and his briefcase. On April 15th, 2003, almost a month later, his body was found in the Charles River by a crew team right near their boathouse when they were like getting ready to start practice kind of thing. The police state that there's no foul play, although they also said that the circumstances of his death are technically unknown, and the white bag he was carrying was never found. Was he going for a run or something? He left everything in the office and the outfit kind of, was he, I mean, there's a whole path along there that you could run. True, um, but this is at night, 8.30 p.m. on March 16th in Boston, which is probably not ideal running weather. You know, I don't, so I don't know. Nobody knows. Um, well, actually, I checked the weather on each of these people and, and it was pretty, pretty fair weather, mild weather that day. Yeah. So, uh, and building on Gracious Point earlier. Oh, building on Gracious Point earlier. Hope that didn't make you jump. <laughs> um, if there is such a thing as a serial killer doing this kind of thing, this would have been the first. He'd be an outlier. Yeah. He'd be against an anti-pattern kind of. Uh, a lot of serial killers have an outlier. That's why I was thinking, like, I'm just speculating at the His age but... is what makes him the outlier. Yes, And the fact age, that he yeah. wasn't a student, he was a professor. And I was trying to picture, like, these all these other guys are athletic. If this guy was a runner, you know, that kind of uh, puts him into that profile even more, that he, like, is an avid runner. And, you know, in the city, Mike used to live there for college, and you'd go in there at 11 o'clock at night, and people are running down that Charles Ware, because they're all... They're professional working, you know. Yeah, sure. I'm a runner, too, actually. I probably run almost every day. I at least run five days a week anyway, but um, I don't usually carry bags with me when I run. That is true. He had bags. Good point. I was just thinking the wallet and stuff. Good good point. Brainstorming. Yeah, brainstorming. It's always good. The other thing to think about is, you know, sometimes the connections, you, you can look at a huge connection, like they're all students, 
But sometimes the connection could be something like they're all educated or they're all, you know, the age isn't necessarily an outlier. And I don't, I don't see, we don't have a picture of him right here. But, you know, there are a lot of people that are 49 that I would swear are not 49. Oh, that's a good point. I you did know? see a picture, David. I think you got a good point there. Huh? Yeah, because he was young looking for his age. And, fit, and if he's physically fit, then you look even younger, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't see him as looking too young or physically fit. I, he wasn't like a heavy person or anything like that, but um, he definitely wouldn't pass for like a 21-year-old. You know, so. <laughs> Plus what time? What was it, at night? 8.30 at night, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. in the dark, I don't know how he And in March, that is dark. Like, not dark, dark, but you know, thinking of like daylight savings for all of us, that time of the day is, is probably just when the sun is really getting dark mm-hmm. and yeah. it's really gone down, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, good point. All right, moving on to the next one. Um, Then there was Dustin Willis. Dustin was 26. He was a Navy man. He was a really stand-up guy, just like the rest of them. Well-liked, responsible. And in fact, he'd been awarded the Navy Medal for Superior Performance. So he was excelling in his career in the Navy. Just an all-around great guy. On March 16, 2007, He left his ship, which was docked in Boston, to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, which, by the way, Boston, with its really high Irish population, is a great city for St. Patty's Day parties. I'm sure some of us have been there. Especially high on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. 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 Southie's a fun time. These are both March, which is interesting. These are both March. Yep. Pay attention to that. That that theme's going to carry on. (laughs) Um, But also, I kind of wanted to point that out because... um, the city of Boston is packed on St. Patrick's Day. I mean, it's a busy city anyway, but St. Patty's Day, with such a high Irish population, is, like, packed. It's wall-to-wall people, right? And every person from the state and other states come into the city at that time. So there's, yeah. there's a lot. Yeah, exactly. So, although I do also want to point out that on March 16, 2007, the city of Boston was experiencing one of our extreme pop-up blizzards that we get, you know, so where will all of a sudden the snow will come down fast and hard and visibility will be basically non-existent. It's like one of our spring um, blizzards. I don't, I don't know why we keep having these. I hate them, but (laughs) it was happening that night. Um, But Dustin and his friends still went to a pub in Quincy Market, the Black Rose, and at around 11 p.m. they leave the bar and they're walking back to their ship when Dustin gets separated from them. So... Now, the prevailing thought is that he got separated due to the visibility issues of the storm. Um, His phone was found at about 1 a.m. by the Long Wharf Bridge, which is about two miles from where his ship was docked. So he was walking completely in the wrong direction for a couple miles. Um, But Dustin wasn't anywhere near his phone. No one saw or spoke to Dustin during the night uh, oh, I'm sorry, no one who saw him or spoke to him during the night thought he was drunk. It was actually called out specifically that he didn't have any slurring in his speech or anything that would indicate that, which we know because when he left the bar, he was on the cell phone talking to his girlfriend. And then all of a sudden, throughout the, the conversation, she lost the call. It just went dead, suddenly dropped, mid-sentence kind of situation, kind of, kind of not great. Um, She tried to call him back, and it rang and rang and rang, and some of his friends he'd been out with tried to call him. It rang and rang and rang. The phone doesn't get answered. Until a few hours later, someone does answer the phone, and it's just a random person on the street who says, oh, I just found the phone here. 
and picked it up. Yeah, and do you that know was who this too belongs much. To? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Do you, like, do you know who this belongs to? That's what I was just going to say. Like, I would have picked it up, and if someone was calling it, I'd have been like, oh, good, I can finally say. Because with passcodes and stuff, you really can't get into people's phones when you find them. I found one the other day, and I just had to wait until sure. someone called that person. Well, this was back in 2007, too, before right. passcodes were really, like, put in place. Yeah, it might have been easier then. Yeah, it might have been easier. You know, the, the phone is one of the patterns in these cases. And I know that if you're a criminal and you're attacking somebody that have cell phones, that's the first thing you take away. Yeah. Right. And that's a big Navy area for drinking. I used to go down there with a friend of mine, and we'd hop around those bars down there by Quincy Market, and it was always full of Navy men. Always. Yeah. I've seen your name on the... Thanks. Never mind. Thanks. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway... Um, a few days later, his body was found in the river by the Long Wharf Bridge. There was no foul place suspected. It was assumed that he merely got lost and fell in the water. But I want to talk about this for a minute because anybody who's been to the Long Wharf Bridge, it's surrounded by like, oh, sorry, like a, a guardrail of sorts. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when they say that he must have just, you know, fallen into the water, he must have just like gone up over those, you know, guardrail things. And then jumped Justifying. He's, he's climbing yeah, over this area. Yeah, yeah. I can't... I, I mean, you know, he's 26. He's in the Navy. Um, you know, he's... Yeah, that, that seems a little preposterous to say that he just accidentally didn't notice the bridge there and just no. kind of didn't notice that the... Yeah, that, that just sounds a little bit absurd, Definitely honestly. Yeah. I don't believe that. If he, they were saying he's some guy that, like, is a daredevil, like... That likes to go over and like put himself on the edge, then maybe you would have thought that. Yeah, but where's his audience? Where's his audience? So you're using daredeviling for somebody. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, you are. You are always daredeviling for somebody. Yeah. Yeah, you're in the and, middle of a snowstorm. Probably. Or if you're me, you're doing it for the gram. I do it a lot of times to just yeah. like if I want a picture of a waterfall, I'm climbing down mm -hmm. to get at the angle I want. But I'm also not drunk. Well, yeah. they're saying, though, that he wasn't drunk either. And That's to true. kind of get back to the cell phone part of the conversation, I believe that the cell phone was found in front of Legal Seafoods, which is across the street, and not a small street. It's across the street from the Longmore Bridge. Yeah. So if he's mid-conversation with his girlfriend and then drops his phone right there, you'd think he'd know it, right? Because it wasn't like it was in his pocket and fell out. He was talking on it when it suddenly went dead. So was that along his path? It was along the path to the Long Wharf Bridge, not along the path to where the ship was docked. But he was going with his friends to the ship, so something's wrong here. Yeah, it's yeah. just kind of weird. Yeah, definitely something's wrong. And have has anybody kind of mapped the timeline? How long would it take you? To, when did they leave specifically from where they were? How long would it have actually taken? Because if he's disconnected with his girlfriend when the phone drops, right? There should be a timeline of about how long it would have taken for him, and does that match up with the phone record? Yeah, well, the snow is a huge factor in that. Well, yeah, that's the true. thing. Yeah, that pop-up blizzard where they're saying there was so little visibility. Uh, but that's a good question, and I didn't see any evidence. Well, I would think that the timeline from there, if you on a good day, you can make there in 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, But at walking, the same time, yeah. you're dealing with snow, you're dealing with places where you can't walk now because, the, you know, I don't... I would I always give more time for weather, you know. True, but he was actually also going two miles in the wrong direction. In the wrong direction, yeah. So that's that's another funny. pattern that shows up in these cases, right? Yes. People going in the wrong direction. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. People okay. making weird decisions. Yep. Yeah. Weird decisions. Interesting. 
All right, so moving on. The next person to disappear was Will Hurley, um, but I specifically would like to tell his story last, so I'm gonna skip ahead. Um, but for those of you who are following along on the overall timeline of gentlemen who go missing, Will Hurley is technically third in the list. Okay. So after Will was a guy named Eugene Losick, or Gene. He was 25 when he disappeared on February 20th, 2010. He'd been out with his friends, but they'd returned to the hotel they were staying in. So now Gene is caught on like the hotel security camera at about 2.24 a.m., presumably going outside to smoke a cigarette because in Massachusetts you can't smoke inside public places. Yeah. Um, and friends say he was relatively sober. Uh, then the hotel cameras catch him heading in the direction of the Christopher Columbus Park, which is behind the Marriott Hotel they were staying in. Now I want to point out that according to Wicked Local, the group checked into the ho when the group checked into the hotel, Jean mentioned that the water looked black because this is also right along that Long Wharf location. Yeah. Um, and his friends didn't think he would go anywhere near it. He seemed to think it was you know kind of creepy how dark the water is. And if you're you know not been to Boston, we have some. There's a whole song about it. Yeah, love love that dirty water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Um, Sorry, my singing skills aren't great, guys. <laughs> That's okay. But yeah, his friends didn't think he would go anywhere near the water. But when he didn't come back, police assumed that's exactly what happened to him. He ended up in the water. On March 2nd, there was an extensive search of the dock behind the hotel. Boston Police Department, Boston Fire Department did a large water search that included the Coast Guard, the Massachusetts State Police Department, the Everett Police Department, and the Quincy Police Department along with some civilians who were helping out. More than 50 divers, search boats, sonar equipment, and underwater cameras were used in this. I mean, it was like a huge search effort. And it turned up absolutely nothing. There was nobody there. It is a flowing river, too. True. Right? So if they weren't looking, you know what I mean? Like as you're looking, the water's moving, whatever it's got on the bottom. So you would expect that if the body had fallen into the water, it may have gone downstream. Yeah. yeah. Cause if, I mean, everybody's gone, oh, have you gone in the Charles? You don't admit that. But when you do go in the Charles, if you're on like a boat, it takes you pretty quickly. Okay. You know, I've done yeah. it on a canoe. Sure. So then you might be interested to know that nine months later, his body is recovered in that exact spot. Oh, that so was it was searched. not there. Unless they weighed it down with something, but it wasn't it weighted wasn't down. There. DNA yeah, yeah. was used to identify the body. Yeah, the drowning forensics indicated that it should have surfaced sooner too. Yep. Yeah, that was a big. Well, that part makes sense. That. That's and three parts of the row. That length of time is incredible. Nine months. What Nine was months. the level of decomposition? Do we know? Well, it must have been quite severe because they did have to use DNA to identify who the body was. Mm. Um, and just to get back to our theme of what kind of guys are these? Gene was an engineer, described as extremely bright, rational, and resourceful, and he was somebody they say everybody liked. Hmm. So that's kind of interesting. Not so far, are all these guys from Massachusetts? Or are uh, they? They're from the not necessarily from Massachusetts. They're from the New England area, though. Okay. I mean, at least in college in the New England area or something like that. Like some of them are actually from North Carolina, like Dustin was from North Carolina, but was a sailor on a ship that docked in Boston. That makes sense. From a victimology point of view, they're very similar though. That's, that's remarkable. As far as highly educated, you know, intelligent people. Shows the shape. killer has a type. Hmm? Shows the killer has a type. 
Yes, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. And how Those does he know too. it? How Me, does he I'm know it? That heads. would be my oh, question. That is a good question, Dave. Say so, that again. What was the how would you know? How how does the killer know who these people are? How does he know their backgrounds? Because um, when you go to Boston, yeah, you just go to the T, and there's you know thousands of people there. How does he specifically know? Who these people are? How is he finding that out? Is he? I mean, one was definitely staying at a hotel. Does he? Is he looking at people who check into hotels? Well, my guess is what they all have in common is that they do all go to a bar the night of. Um, I guess I didn't mention what bar Gene was at, but I can get that information back to you guys. Um, But if you go to talk to somebody at a bar and you just say hello, you know, I think within well. I don't want to sound like a jerk, but within a few minutes, you can tell if somebody's like, you know, a dumbass or uh, of relative intelligence, right? Amen. I was about to say, if you meet me at a bar, you're going to know me within five minutes. So if you would pick up all these guys at a bar, I'm a chit chatter. Mm -hmm. I could get out of you who you are within a couple minutes. Exactly. And if you say like, you know, what, what are you doing in the city? Mm -hmm. Do you live around here? And your response is, oh, I'm working on my graduate degree degree in aeronautic engineering you know well you're clearly not somebody who just fell off the turnip truck right mm-hmm. wow no wonder i never scored in a bar <laughs> <laughs> uh, no wonder dad no i'm wonder. somebody who talks to anybody so i could see very easily how you could read people because well, like yeah and you know what you and i have both been bartenders and you mm-hmm. do end up being able to read people very quickly what kind of person almost the moment they sit down i can almost tell you what they're gonna drink too because you're like oh god here she comes <laughs> she wants something out of the blender that bitch <laughs> and i gotta clean it yeah <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, so you know what? Maybe the killer is a bartender because it's very. It's very it, that is very possible. Bartenders are great people readers. Yeah. Yep. That's the job, right? Hmm. So the next gentleman on the list um, was a bit of a heartbreaker for me, actually, when I was researching him. His name is David Mark. Heartbreaker because uh, he's cute, or heartbreaker because the story. We're gonna get into that. Okay. Um, Twenty-four. He had type one diabetes and Asperger's syndrome. So my nephew also has Asperger's syndrome, which is, I think, where the heartbreak kind of came in or the, you know, ability to connect to this one a little bit tighter than some of the other ones was for me. Um, But anyway, David lived actually in Albany. So he was not from Massachusetts or New England, per your point. On February 21st, 2012, spur of the moment, he has this decision he's going to drive to Boston and visit his sister. He didn't have a job at the time. He'd like just finished school with his master's degree. Um, so my guess is, you know, like I'm out of school, I have nothing to do. I'm gonna take a ride out to Boston. For those of you who don't know, it's only about a three-hour drive from Boston to Albany. Albany. It's not yeah, very it's far. Not so far. yeah, that's not as crazy as it might sound. Um, he stops on his way at the Boston Beer Works restaurant, which is right by Fenway Park. The waitress said he was in great spirits when he left, not intoxicated, anything like that. Although he did have a couple beers while he was there. Pretty normal. Um, But then he never actually made it to his sister's place. So, of course, his family went into a panic immediately. But not just because he was missing, but because they were very fearful because they realized he'd left Albany without his diabetic medication. And diabetes type 1... He needs that. He should have even had it with the beers because beers have a ton of carbs in them, which he would have had to take medicine with those or he would have become a little yeah, a little off. His sugars would have been off because 
Yep, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, here's a guy who completed a master's degree in geography, GIS, State University of New York in Albany. And Mark's, uh, he also received a BA, summa cum laude, from the university in 2009 and was elected to Phi Beta Kappa. So yeah, he fits the pattern. He's very, very bright. Yep. Aside from the Asperger's, I'm curious about the uh, forgetting his med. Is it, was, was that ever reported about him before? Well, I mean, maybe it's just because they did say it was just like a spur-of-the-moment decision. Like, I'm just going to drive out and visit. And, I mean, in this day and age, if you forget your meds somewhere, you know, like you can probably pick them up at any CVS yeah, at Rite Aid or I something. don't know enough about insulin. Does anybody here know? I, I know a lot about insulin. Uh, Mike is type 1 diabetic. And I'm wondering why he had the beers. Because uh, that would have put him in a, in a predicament that would have been unsafe for him because you you lose your ability to um reason no like they say diabetics sometimes look like they're drunk because they get that part where they just can't function because their sugar levels are so off so with those carbs like two beers for us would be nothing two beers for him would be a lot he probably would be drunk from the insulin levels because he wouldn't take his medicine to combat what he's about to drink like you'll see diabetics in the bar lift up their shirt and quickly shoot themselves before they do that because they're preparing to have those carbs intaked into their body. Mm-hmm. So that part right there makes you me know, nervous for him because he wouldn't have... In my notes, that came up, is that even with, if he's on his insulin and he's doing what he should be doing, um, he had a very odd gait and a very odd walk, very stiff. He would appear to be... I make fun of my husband because when his levels are off, he can almost sideways walk. It's so weird. His feet are here, but the rest of his body is literally over here. And I don't know how the human body does it, but it's when his levels are not right. He, it's like the whole top of his body just like, cool. Wow. It's it's Ooh. a weird disease. Yeah, it definitely is. And his parents were so. But then worried. you think of somebody's son, right, Joe? Yeah. Well, they don't. Uh, so the waitress just said he was in great spirits when he left and didn't appear to be intoxicated. So. So, do we have any data? Liability, for... liability, liability. Yeah, well, that is true, too, right? You definitely got to CYA sometimes. I mean, not, not saying that he wasn't drunk, but I would say that, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't say he was drunk because I served him. Yeah, but I do want to point out his parents said that, per your point, Gracia, and her, her husband, Mike, does have type 1 diabetes, that he could have gone unconscious or into a coma, and they were, like, in a panic trying to find yeah. him for those It doesn't reasons. take long with a type 1. Mm-hmm. You know, type 2 and type 3, you can wait a little yeah. bit, but type 1 doesn't take long. Yeah. So then his car is found. A few days later, it's parked in front of the school, a school, and the school says the car had been there since March 2nd, right? So this is, like... On February 21st, he goes missing. His car was parked in front of his school. One mile from his sister's house. One mile from his sister's house. Holy shit. But there on March 2nd. So this is now a passage of 10 days. days. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, On March 8th, he was found in a stretch on the shore of the Chelsea River, actually. No signs of trauma. The police assumed that the tide just pushed his body onto the shore, so he was technically not in the water, although assumed to be a drowning victim. Um, and again, like Dad said, David was identified as family as being very bright and extremely well-educated. When you say assume, um, did he have like water in his lungs and stuff, or did they... So it's very difficult to find the autopsies on a lot of these cases, and I looked and looked and looked, and I know so did my dad, um, but a lot of these 
it, it, which this is going to become a really big point too, is how did they specifically die? What kind of drowning was it? And did they have a toxicology that reported anything interesting? In You'll it? have yeah. better data next week. Excellent. Because when we spread it out, this, we've actually found some resources right there. That's right, yeah. So we'll have much better awesome. forensics. Yeah, yeah, when we yeah. go into the deeper story. Because that'll yeah. definitely be a bigger part, because if there's water in their lungs, you know. Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess my dad told me it's possible to drown without water in your lungs. Yes, I just learned that. Oh, is it? I didn't know that, but I just yeah. this, there's a lot more than what we think. Yeah. More ways to Oh, can't wait to hear that part. Yeah, it's your, exciting. Your or broken freeze up. There's a whole bunch yeah, of you can say especially it. if the water's cold <laughs> in March. And it's always cold in March. Like, dude, get in that water. Uh, okay, well, spoiler. We'll go over next time. Spoiler: All of these cases take place in February. All the men go missing in February and March, or in October and November. Guys, don't go to games during those times. <laughs> Not the a ages single between. one goes missing at any other time. <laughs> so, which I'm definitely going to talk about at the end, too. Okay. Um, Teaser. Okay. So, moving on to February 21st, 2012. A gentleman by the name of Franco Garcia was 21. He went to Marianne's Bar with some friends. And this is in Cleveland Circle, so we're still in the city. Still in the city, yeah. Also, for those of you who don't know, Boston area-wise is only three square miles. So this is not a huge city, just FYI. Um, just a lot of people squeezed in. Like yes, a sausage it <laughs> yes, it is. So during the evening, um, his friends are going to lose sight of him in the bar that they're at. Although, his keys and his jackets are still there. So they don't maybe realize he's left right away or that he's gone right away because he's in jacket it's cold exactly right at 12 18 a.m a camera catches him heading in the direction of what they assume was his car because they know where his car is parked and they can see on the camera which way he's walking so they figure he's walking to his car um he did not uh, he did definitely appear to be drunk so just want to put that out there um now there are two points we need to make before we go too much further the first is, this is February in Boston. This is no joke fucking cold. Cold. Right? Like, Put your jacket on. Yeah. A hat. Maybe a scarf and mittens. Yeah. And anywhere near the water, you get that like um, wind uh-huh. off the water. It just is yeah. that much more bone chilling. Like, it's just fucking cold, right? There's um, something to be said for the ocean. Yeah, exactly. It comes off there. It's cold. Yeah. One night I, um, when I was living over in Winthrop, um, I had forgotten that the tea was going to be running on the holiday schedule. And so I get off the tee and it was, I can't remember if it was President's Day or which day it was, but it was like below zero, well below zero with the wind chill. And when that wind blows, it actually feels like somebody just ran up and slapped you. Mm. You know, it's like, it really That was hurts. me, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of that post of why do we live somewhere where the wind hurts our face, you know? So yeah, to leave without jacket and keys and walk to your car. It's unbelievable. It's weird, right? Especially the jacket. Keys, you're a little drunk, but jacket, no Well, way. it says he wasn't intending to be gone long, right? Yeah. But how are you going to get in the car? Well, you don't have your keys, how are you getting in? Yeah. Yeah. So he what he does, too, is interesting because his friend said that he had sent them a text that said, don't leave this bar without me. Oh. Yeah, which seems pretty inconsistent with someone who would just be like, ah, oh, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to leave the bar without my jacket and keys in the middle of February at night and go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Don't leave this bar without me. Ooh. Yeah, that, that text to his friends is a very interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Now, had his friends texted him prior? 
So I think they'd be t been texting throughout the night, you know, like how they communicate mm -hmm. just like okay. any of us would. So that would be an intro because if the killer actually is the person that wrote that text, he would have to know a way, he would have to know who to text. Well, I'm thinking, why would I send that text? Was I going off with somebody? Was like, where am I? Where is he going? Is he going to meet somebody? Right. He's like, I don't want them to think I left. So I'm sending this because I'm headed here for something like whether it's you're picking up drugs, whether it's you're meeting a girl, whether it's your whatever, like why would I personally send that message? It's just what was going through my head. Exactly. I get the impression in these cases, whoever is doing it, assuming somebody is, they're trying to throw off the timelines and that's why the bodies are coming up uh, long periods of time. Um, you can freeze a body, you can do a lot of things to throw off the time of death. So it would be interesting to Especially take Especially that time of year. Yep. You know, you're, you're, it's not going to decompose like the summer. You and, know? you know, I'd be interested if they checked any of these people for cyanide in their autopsies. Um, there yeah. was a killer called the, he nicknamed the Iceman. And what he would often do, and he would do this in bars and restaurants, he would go near somebody with cyanide and just blow it at him. Yeah, he yeah. had a vapor thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. And it looked like a heart attack. Yeah, it would look like a heart attack, or you could even say drowning or something like that. If you're not specifically looking for cyanide, you won't find it. Yeah, there's an um, important part of all of these cases we're going to talk about towards the end okay. that's on that kind of vein, actually. Now, did, didn't Bruce Springsteen help out on this one? Is this the one that he helped? No, no, no. Um, so we'll finish this guy, and then we'll get to your Bruce Springsteen guy soon, I think. <laughs> Well, oh, actually, yeah, boss, you're right. Um, Franco uh, was, but that's what Dad says. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'm trying to tell the story. Dad, um, you're correct. Yeah, that was sort of at the end of my notes on the story. But yeah, for, so Franco was an honor student and a member of the marching band. Bruce Springsteen's son happened to go to the same university, uh, right. and that's how Bruce Springsteen got involved in the search for the for the guy. Should never correct your father. After he leaves the bar. <laughs> Um, his cell phone does ping near the Chestnut Hill Reservoir at about 1.15 a.m., and then it, they never get a ping from the cell phone again. And Chestnut Hill from Cleveland Circle is a good distance. Yep, mm -hmm. it's not super close. You're not super close on those two areas. Yeah. So this kid is six feet tall. I'm looking at my notes here. He weighs 200 pounds. pretty good shape. So his wallet was found inside his pocket. Eyeglasses and cash were also recovered. I don't know, it's weird. Another weird one. Yeah, so I just want to finish this one up by saying that on February 27th, which is six days later, the state police scanned the reservoir where the phone pinged. They had divers do a search. They used sonar, the whole deal. Um, came up with nothing. A large public search, even mm -hmm. with Bruce Springsteen, like I said, was involved. But again, no one said they saw him. Nothing was recovered. His body you, you, you wasn't recovered. You said he was involved, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. I just want to clarify that. Thanks, Dad. And then on April 11th, which is now months later, April 11th is almost two solid months later, his body's found in the reservoir in a heavily weeded area, 18 feet off the shore. In St. Chestnut Hill? Uh, yeah, just where they had searched, actually, where they previously searched, so his body shows up. Um, police state that his death is consistent with an accidental fall into the water. This person is watching where they're searching, right? It, uh, there's no way it's the same exact place twice in a row. There's also it, the idea that statistically, like if you just took the statistics, how many people, if, you know, why aren't there the same incidents in January, December, you know, mm -hmm. this is 
and there's another pattern here. It seems like the killer is getting a hee-hee-ha-ha by putting the body somewhere where they already searched. He's, like, laughing at the cops. Yes. That that, could, it could have taken two months because he could, have, he could have gone a couple of times to be like, oh, too many people here can't dump it. Go you know what I mean? Like, that timeline I don't think matters, but I think that he's being specific and saying, hey, you searched here? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. for sure. You, you probably mentioned this, Shirley, but the search lasted four days? Yeah. Four days. So well-searched. There's no way. Well-searched. Well, all of these cases are well searched, and the only thing you can draw upon is that if the bodies really drown there, and then months later they reappear, then clearly these divers search team maybe can't swim. I mean, I don't even know how else to justify it. It's weird. So so far we've got that this guy hates young fit men, and he likes to laugh at cops. Hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got some things on him. All right. You guys <laughs> or her, or her. This could be a girl. Could be her. Mm-hmm. Highly unlikely, but possible. <laughs> Do you guys want to hear about one the next one? One of my favorite one? serial killers was a woman. Oh. So. Your favorite serial killer. <laughs> one of my BFFs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Up next is a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Daly. He was 23. He was, a, gra- he was a grad student. Um, he was on break, though, from school for just financial reasons, so he was working and stuff like that. We all know how expensive school is, particularly in the city of Boston, so totally get that. Um, on October 2nd, 2012, he was at home in his apartment with his roommate. They had a normal evening. They watched The Office. They had pizza. They had a couple beers. Nothing, you know, party-hearty kind of thing. Sounds like my kind of night. Just like a typical Tuesday. Are they drinking John Daly's? Because I feel like we should throw nope, it in. No, they did say beers. Oh, okay. um, and then at 9 p.m., they go to bed. The roommate goes like, all right, got to go to bed, get up for work in the morning, whatever. They say good night. When the roommate got up the next morning, Jonathan's gone. Now, initially, he's not really worried about that, right? It's a couple guys sharing an apartment. Yeah, they probably don't track yeah, each other. Yeah, checking each other. Yeah, exactly. Not every minute of the day. But when John didn't come home um, at night, then he did. his roommate did become kind of concerned and reported him missing, contacted the family, that whole thing. Especially because Jonathan didn't take anything with him except for the clothes on his back and his cell phone. So everything else he owns is still in his apartment. Wallet, whole nine. They keep leaving their wallet and keys behind. Yeah. Like, what are these boys doing? everything behind. Yep. Um, so this is really hard, but when the family and friends call his cell phone, it rings and rings and rings for like days, but never gets answered. So I think that that's important because on October 9th, Jonathan's found in the Charles River, tied by his ankles with chains to cinder blocks. So that now, makes sense to me, though. Have you ever watched The Office? I mean, <laughs> think about it. You have a couple of years, you watch office. an episode of The Office, you run out, you go, you know what? I've had enough of this shit. You find some chains, tie to your ankle in the cinder block, and hop in the Charles. Now that's when you're watching I Friends. That. It makes me laugh. There you go. <laughs> it could be when you're watching Friends, Dave. It could be when you're watching, yeah. Something more a little... The Office makes you just laugh. I, I think it's weird that his phone kept going because when is his battery going to die? Well, yeah, I think it's weird that his phone keeps going. Also because, I mean, like, I, it doesn't say where his phone is recovered or if it's recovered. But, like, did he just, like throw it on the street because if he had it in his pocket it's going to die almost right away yes. especially in the water yeah. right now the other thing i think is really weird about this guys is that 
I mean, think about this. So he goes missing on October 2nd, and then on October 9th, he's found chained to cinder blocks at the bottom of the Charles. Worst case of suicide I ever did see. Now, this is a period of seven days, but the medical examiner states that the body appears to have only been in the water for a couple of days. Interesting. So he doesn't have the decomposition to match, but he's chained to... So what did he do in the city of Boston in October, which... We could have been having an Indian summer. It could have been kind of warm, but at night it's not warm. You know. No, but at the same time, like October's a pretty lively area, like time right. to be out for people. Okay, let me understand. People are all on the street. He's missing for seven days. Yep. Yeah. And the 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 Emmy says in the water for two days. So yeah, we're just missing a couple five days. days here. Five yeah. days. Yeah. It takes a long time to find chains. I mean, it's, it's, but he didn't have his yeah. wallet, Dad, to buy them. No so. wallet to buy the chains. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is this. This is also really where he's full of holes. Yeah. This is also where he's changing his pattern too, because he's actually like securing the body where he didn't the other times. So he just kind of like Whoa. dropped it. Yeah. Um, people who knew Jonathan, by the way, said that he was. I mean, they were like completely shocked. He had no mental illness and was one of those like generally wicked happy guys. So it it just is like so strange. Um, and in this case, this is the first case that I can tell you that the medical examiner asks for specialized testing as well as a toxicology report. Now, I couldn't find the results of those, but this is the first time they request it. So I think that means something fishy is going on. Correct. Well, can you remind me what year it is, too? Sorry. Sure. The year is 2012. 2012. Sorry. In the oxygen special, the, one of the detectives made a comment that in every case where they ask for the toxicology, they found the GBH or whatever. Yeah, sure. So we haven't really gotten to that yet or the oxygen special, but... But that would cover this, too. He it said might. all cases. Yeah, yeah it might. Um, we just don't know what came back from this toxicology report specifically. So I'm going to let all of y'all know what oxygen story we're talking about kind of at the end, just so I don't like... It's know. a little teaser. Keep you listening. Yeah, just Keep pretend I didn't say it. Okay. We will. Rewind. Rewind. <laughs> All right, so the next case we're going to talk about um, is one of the first, there's a couple that are out celebrating their birthdays, and this gentleman, Eric Munsell, is out celebrating his 24th birthday. It's February 8th, 2014. He goes to a bar um, for the Market Lounge, which is also in Boston. So at some point during the night, a bouncer states that Eric gets sloppy and is completely intoxicated and he gets thrown out of the bar. Uh, for causing a disturbance and it turns out he was just harassing some women in the bar so just completely loaded apparently he did inhibitions have officially been released yes exactly <laughs> who um, hasn't gotten kicked out of a bar at least one <laughs> i don't know anybody i was never kicked out. Is, sure i do not weren't. believe that statement at all <laughs> um are your fingers crossed yeah so he says uh so i'm sorry so when he gets kicked out of the bar he's not wearing his coat um, people who were outside the bar said that Eric was really disoriented and even fell into some snowbanks. Um, he's caught on camera heading towards a long wharf. Months later, April 23rd, he's pulled out of that water. He's identified at that time only as a non-viable man, so clearly the decomposition is quite advanced, right? I remember this report. Yeah. Um, so an officer who's part of the search team for Eric notes that there's this like eight foot stone wall that if Eric had accidentally fallen into the water, he would have had to scale this wall to get out. So mm-hmm. if you're sloppy, intoxicated, it is possible. Well, it's not super possible that you fell in, but say you did, um, that you would then have to like fight your way up. So 
and you're fighting against a lot of other stuff like you're falling into the river again now so you're fighting against the current and it's freezing cold and falling in there is a death sentence not that not that he yeah. did but yeah probably especially this time of year not in general yeah exactly um, Eric graduated BU, by the way, magna cum laude, with a degree in aerospace engineering, and he was working in that field at the time of his death. So another one that fits the pattern of being intelligent, educated, you know, kind of guy. Just as an aside, the family ends up suing the bar for wrongful death, citing the lack of coat and the care that the bar showed to Eric. Um, so like, you know, he was clearly sloppy and intoxicated. You threw him out on the street. What did you expect to happen? Yeah, why didn't you get him a cab or... Yeah, they didn't win though, so... Yes. Yeah. I think every bar I've worked at, we have to get them cabs. And yeah. And maybe because of something like this, where we have to at least try and show that we tried. Right. Could yeah. be. Could be. Because um, we right. have a duty of care. Yeah, you do have duty of care as a bartender, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving on. The next one now, I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce this whole name right. Um, Jose, 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 would you say? Jose Quispy Alamandro. He's our youngest victim. He was 18 years old, and now we're in October 17, 2015. He was out just running errands with his brother on the day he disappeared. Um, they're doing like general shopping and stuff. He drops his brother off in Somerville at 4.30. And Somerville is a suburb of Boston, but still... So cute. I love it. Yeah, I do too. It's still not too far, though, from, you know, yeah. the farm No, Davis Square, you could be downtown, no problem. Exactly. Um, after he drops his brother off, though, he's never seen alive again. The next day, his car is found in Quincy, also a suburb of Boston, but, but on the other side, this is Quincy, so Southie. Yeah. Um, and there's no sign of him anywhere. A month later, on November 12th, his body washes up in Plymouth. Okay. Oh, shit. Yeah. So yeah. Plymouth is nowhere near Boston, nowhere as near. a matter of fact. Yeah. So nobody knows how... Well, I mean, ocean-wise, I guess it is, but, like, not really. Not really. It's not really near Boston. No. At all. I and just feel like if you were on that boat, if you took a boat, it's not that bad. Yeah. But who's taking a boat at this time of year? Yeah, I'm not even sure, too, um, that the commuter rail goes out to Plymouth because nobody's really sure how he could have possibly gotten to I Plymouth. I mean, it, it gets to Foxborough, right? I think it but, does go to Plymouth because Michael was going to live there for a little bit and okay. there was a rail. Yeah. yeah. Is there but so? it's a longer one. Like, like Franklin, you know, it's like a good 45-minute commute in. It's not seconds. I yeah. know many times that I've thought about going to Patriots games we thought about just taking the commuter yeah. and going back. Right. Um, but that, I mean it's so long on the commuter um, just to get to Foxborough and Foxborough is probably slightly closer I would think the way the train would go. I, I'm not sure. They've definitely expanded. I, I don't know about this time. I mean, look, it even goes to Worcester, like, further out now. So, it I does. mean, you got graphs. Like, there's a lot of areas that now are covered by the train, which, I don't know, 2015. Yeah, don't but know. I know Michael last year was looking, and he was working in Plymouth, and there was a commuter rail. Yeah, so maybe so, that's how we got to Plymouth. Who knows? Maybe. But Nobody seemed to know how we got to Plymouth. Nobody really knew. Why would he have gone to Plymouth? Do it was anybody right. know? Nobody knows. Anybody I think the only theme here is that water. Like, this person loves dumping bodies in water. Yeah. yeah. And Plymouth is nationwide known. Yep. Like, nationwide known as a water source. Yep. You know? Yep, for sure. Plymouth Plantation, you know. Well, Mayflower. Yep. 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 All right. So next, um, on a chilly New Year's Eve, 2015, the body of Dennis Nwarja, again, I may be 
brutalizing that name. I apologize if I am. But he gets discovered in the Charles River. He's been missing since November 29th. He's 21. He's talented, going to Northeastern for filmmaking. Um, his mom, they're from Worcester, you know, said that he was a great guy, really positive, happy guy. And the day before uh, he went missing, he was in the middle of a basketball game and called his mom and stuff like that. So, you know, connected to his family, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, I know he was worried about money for Northeastern is obviously a very expensive education as well. And housing down there, that's a pretty expensive area because of the art museum and Wentworth and, you yeah. know, that's a hard... Yeah, so one of his friends made that point that he was a little bit worried. And I'm too, right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm sure that filmmaking is kind of a high-risk career, too, as far as if you're going to be successful and be able to pay your bills, right? And November 29th, that's around Thanksgiving, too, so he might have been missing his family. Yeah, so you never know. Um, but he is, again, missing for more than a month. Um, the police state that there's no reason to believe it was a homicide, although the cause of his death is actually deemed unknown. So I thought that was interesting. Mm. Where did they find him? Did you say yet? Yeah, uh, in the Charles. In the Charles, okay. Most of them are in the Charles with a few outliers, but... Yeah. There's a lot, so I'm trying to keep track of them all. <sighs> yeah, there sure is. Um, so another birthday celebration that's going to end in tragedy is Zachary Marr. He goes to the city on his 22nd birthday uh, with friends on February 13th, 2015. He's from Lemonster, actually, so his dad does put him on the commuter rail, actually, just to talk about that, I think in Shirley. Um, and that's the last time he'll see his dad, which is sad. He, so they're in the bar. He leaves the bar without his coat to have a cigarette outside. That's not that unusual, especially if a bar is really packed and it's hot or whatever, even though it's probably brutally cold on February 13th at But night. you're only out there for like two or three minutes. Right. I can see it getting, you know. Yeah, exactly. He texts his friends while he's outside and says the bouncer wouldn't let him back in. Now, this is really interesting because the bouncer said he never asked to come back in. And actually, they have cameras right outside where the bouncer is. And the cameras don't show him going anywhere near the bouncer to ask anything at all. So it's a weird question uh, that he says. It sounds to me like the killer is the one doing the texting. Yeah. On two occasions, he's yeah. texted people. And it's not just, my guess is he's just doing that to throw off timelines. Could yeah. be. It gives him time to get out of where he is, because those areas are not easy to get out of. True, yeah. that's true. Like, it's going to take him a bit to move, yeah. said, said person. Yeah, driving in Boston could make anyone a psychotic killer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like Quincy sure. Market during a snowstorm? <laughs> Fuck no. Yeah, Fuck that is no. so true. Well, what's interesting here is he then texts his cousins, saying, who are, that's who he's with, some of his cousins, uh, saying to leave the bar at 1.41 a.m. Something like, you know, let's go, we'll go somewhere else kind of thing, right? A camera is going to catch him outside of the bar at 1.44 a.m. When but when his cousins get outside at 1.51, six minutes later, seven minutes later, he's gone. He's completely gone. Um, it never shows him leaving the camera, right? It just shows him. It never shows him leaving. Yeah, so they don't see what happens to him. He literally vanishes. And while he's at the bar, he does have a couple drinks, but nothing that's out of the ordinary for him and nothing that anybody thinks, you know, he's overly intoxicated. When his dis body gets discovered in the Charles on March 15th, more than a month later, in an area that was, again, previously searched by divers where they'd used sonar, police said that they basically assumed he just walked to the Zakum and then just walked into the river. <laughs> no 
Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I like, first, let me ask your cousin to come on the bar. Yeah, and then, yeah, like, yeah, I just think I'll take a stroll. How many people do they think just walk into the river? <laughs> that looks nice. Like, who? I mean, I do think that looks nice a lot of times, but like, come on, man. Not I don't. Yeah, in the middle of February, you know. Just, I'm not thinking that. No, it's cold. Yeah, it was in the 30s. Yeah, it was cold. But so... But the, I mean, the point though, like I've been at bars with friends and been like, yeah, we got to get out of here. Let's go. I wouldn't text you and be like, come outside and be gone when you got there. Mm-hmm. I think for yeah. me, that was sort of one of the bigger points wow. of this story. Yes. You wouldn't lead your friends astray. Yeah. You know? Which is kind of similar to Franco that we talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. Don't leave me. Yeah. Don't, don't leave yeah. the bar without me. And then he leaves without them. Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, why would you do that? So I, I kind of don't get that. Um, but I do want to point out that about a month later, his, um, his parents say that the death is obviously devastating, but not shocking. So I found that kind of interesting. Not shocking. Not shocking. What? Yep. But they don't really say much the more about it. The question is why. Mom and dad. Yeah. We need what? Yeah. Maybe did he have depression or anxiety or something like that? So yeah, kind of weird. I thought. Yeah. I don't even know that I'd even say that about my son in public though. Even if it were a thing, I'd be like, ugh. Yeah, yeah, it's just strange. So I didn't... I also think I would huddle in my room and never leave. So your son walks into the Charles and you And you say it's not shocking? Like, it's fucking shocking. Like... Must have been an interesting kid. I'm not a psychologist, but they, they... You know, things about people going out on a birthday party and then just deciding halfway through after they've had a few drinks to commit suicide. I mean, that's that's not generally what suicidal people do no um you know i you think birthday's a celebration of life you yeah and i mean as a young man i guess sometimes when your birthday's coming around and you're kind of anxious about the future or whatever it can be a reminder um but you know still going out on your birthday things like that i mean there's not really a lot of evidence that these people are suffering from severe depression. People who suffer from severe depression usually can't graduate cum laude because it's not that they're not smart enough, but when you're depressed, you just can't stay organized. You can't, I mean, intelligence only gets you so far. If you want to be a cum laude student, you have to be organized. Everything has to be in on time. You know, you got to dot your I's, cross your T's. It's hard to do that if you're suffering from depression. Yeah, so, but to flip that coin, I suffer from anxiety and panic disorder fairly severely. Um, But I think that my anxiety drives me like a motor. And so I also graduated summa cum laude, you know, while working, raising four kids, um, running a cheer program, you know, like all the things that I had going on and I was able to do it as well. So sometimes your mental illness can have, you know, mm-hmm. different... And if they're being medicated, I mean, again, the toxicology yeah. thing, he could have been... But David's on. right about depression. Yeah. Yeah, although they're related, but anxiety is like a cousin of depression to me. But, yeah, yeah when you're depressed, you don't... You can't... I often lose yeah. time, too, don't... Like, sometimes they go into times where they're gone for a while. And yeah. Some depression. It's, just, it's mm-hmm. like, it's... It's just like the organization, you know, all those things like higher level know, executive, reasoning. yeah, executive functioning. Yeah. And again, I'm not a psychologist, obviously, so I'm not gonna sit here and analyze depression. But you know, whenever I've had depression, um, organization is really one of the things that 
you know, you start to notice almost immediately. You struggle with, yeah. And it becomes a circle. You're depressed, and then you're disorganized, so you're missing bills or whatever. And it's like a circle, circular kind of pattern. Um, It's too bad we didn't get more here. You know, if if somebody said to me, the kid's death is devastating but not shocking, I'd have said, could you please explain that? Yeah. You know, that that And maybe they're also saying maybe he was somebody who liked to go out and party. Or who like to oh, walk okay. to bridges. Or, or careless, because, you know, we all know those people that are like, I'm going to go walk along the top of the bridge while I... You know, like, yes. some people are careless when they're drinking. So if yeah. they, they had witnessed him doing something like that in the past, where he, like, doesn't have that forethought to stop himself Good from point. doing stupid Good things. Point, yeah. Although the Zakem... Yeah. I, was, I don't know how you're walking along that. I still keep playing like, what? Like, I know. How do you get on? Are you pretending to like swing? I don't even know what you're doing. Like, I just look at the pretty colors when yeah, I'm going across same. it. It's pretty. That is a pretty bridge, actually. God. All right. So next. Bridge. Isn't this fun? There are so many of them. So next is Michael Keller. On March 29th, 2016, Michael goes to a Celtics game, and he does, in fact, get pretty fucking drunk. Um, according to a lawsuit filed against his parents, I'm sorry, filed by his parents against the TD Garden, during the game he was seen as severely drunk and at times he was unconscious. He was even seen sitting on the floor in the garden holding his head in his hands. So this guy's totally shit faced during the game. Um, and why you wouldn't bring him to a medical tent there? Because they must have something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when you go to like. Gillette, or there's always something where someone's that bad, you take them to that medical tent because they're borderline. Yeah, alcohol poisoning. People actually do fall at, at football stadiums all the time. All the it, time. it does happen that occasionally some people die from falls at football stadiums. Um, you know, but um, I've never been to an actual Celtics game. Uh, I, I went to the Globetrotters. I've been to the Celtics but, twice, but I don't really notice the medical tents unless know, I'm in need, I guess. But Like, uh, in what year was this? I went to 2016. A, I went to oh, a medical so tent at a Grateful Dead concert. So, you know, it used to be like back in the old Foxborough Stadium. I mean, you could be drunk as you wanted, throwing up on security, and they didn't care. But now everybody's far more careful. Uh, nowadays, it's like you. Your neighbors are telling on you. Like, yeah, they're going exactly. to the security and saying, "Hey, this guy's being a little obnoxious." Yeah. So. You know, a thought that came to me just on the left field here. First of all, um, mixed in, you could have victims of a serial killer, but then again, you could have just people that obvious explanation. Yes. Right. The other thing that occurs to me is. I, I'm, well, I'm not going to say I've known people, but I've, I've read of people who victimize people, you know, like mug them and what have you. They look for drugs. They look for people that oh, look yeah. like... Easy targets. Yeah, that they're not, you know, paying attention or something's inhibiting them or whatever. Um, and again, uh, something else that occurs to me is if, if, if you've got a serial killer doing this, it could be that the intelligence and, uh, and the... Uh, Factors like their education, everything is accidental because you're in an area that has an awful lot of colleges. Well, that is true. Boston that is, is yeah. got so many universities and so many high-class universities. You know, I mean Harvard, Northeastern. That's what makes this so difficult. It's trying to pick all B-U-B-C. that. BUBC. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Hey. And that area down there too is so close to some areas where you could 
especially if we're talking the TD right now, you know, you're in an area where you can get to a lot of areas very easily. Sure. So if you were going to mug somebody real quick and get out of there, your mugging theory oh, yeah, could, totally. could, I could totally see it there because you know, they're coming out of there loaded. Like it's, yeah. it's almost yeah. like, uh, what do they say? Uh, lining up dead pigeons or something. And what's the saying? I can, I can shoot it because, Oh, like shooting beer, something in a barrel. Yeah. Shooting right. fish in a barrel. You know, yeah, I, I, I'm 70 years old, but I've had two instances as a young adult where somebody tried to mug me in Boston and, and one of them was in broad daylight and, uh, by the old Boylston street stop there, you know, yeah. street stations just down the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> It definitely happens. I'm not saying this is a mugger doing it and killing throwing the body. Yeah, sure. But I'm just saying that there is a, a criminal pattern of looking for victims that, and I know this is true when I used to do rape defense, is that the FBI had discovered that uh, rapists actually either consciously or unconsciously select their victims. There are things about their victims they're looking for. So if you're a woman that walks assertively and like you're gonna, you know, you're paying attention, you're gonna take care of yourself, they're not gonna attack you because they don't wanna fight. But if you're a little mousy thing going along or maybe you're looking at your cell phone or you're- Not paying attention, you know, you're, you're the, the little mouse in the big city, um, your chances are pretty good that you might be victimized. So who knows what the killer's looking for. Uh, so he does leave the garden at the end of the game by himself um, and he, because he gets separated from his friends. So he tries to get an Uber. Now, anybody who's ever tried to get an Uber after a sporting event knows how challenging that can be. In fact, we, mm-hmm. me, Dave, and Craig, and some of our friends went to a Patriots yes. game in um, D.C. at the Redskins. Well, not the Redskins anymore. Yeah, well, well, Football well, club, whatever they're called yes. now. Um, but we tried to get an Uber. We had to walk something like four or five miles and wait like 45 minutes So because there were just so many people trying to get Ubers. So it, it is really, really hard. Um, so they assume he must have walked off, I guess, when he couldn't get one. Or like you said, went to walk a few blocks to try to get one. Exactly. Like something you never like know what his thought was. Like, oh, or maybe I'll just take the tea now and I'll walk to a train station. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A search does take place for Michael, and once again, they search the Charles. Once again, they use sonar. Once again, they have divers, and once again, they're going to find nothing. But a month later, they do find his body in the places that he searched, that they had previously searched. So, I'm starting to be concerned about the quality of sonar equipment. (laughs) (laughs) The quality of the sonar equipment that the police have (laughs) leaves something to be desired, maybe? I don't know. All right, so now we're going to go back to William Hurley, right? So, number two. Yeah, uh, number three on the list, right? If you count that older gentleman. Oh, that's right. Um, So, this one's like super interesting. So, Will is also a Navy man, um, similar to Dustin. He is living in Boston with his girlfriend. On October 8th, 2009, he goes to a Bruins game with some friends. So, So back at the TD. Normal guy, yep. since he'd been up since 4.30 in the morning, he finds himself feeling really tired. And he's not a big hockey fan. His girlfriend said, you know, that, you know, like, we're like diehard Patriots fans, I guess, but I'm definitely not a diehard Bruins fan. So I could see if I was like, I'm just not having it. I want to go home. You know, that I'd text for a ride too. And that's exactly what he does. He texts his girlfriend after about the first period saying, I need you to come get me. I'm too tired. I don't want to stay. Uh, so she, she's in school, but she leaves her class to pick him up. 
and they're texting back and forth as she's on her way to get him and then they're talking on the cell phone you know finding where to pick him up because he's not sure of where he is in regards to which exit basically yeah because it's a big building and there's a lot of little areas alleyways and stuff to come in and out and she won't be able to stop That's for right. long so they got to make sure they're in the right spot yeah exactly and also um i think there's a lot of construction this is like prime of course there is, course there is. There's there's always, always construction <laughs> big dig yeah <laughs> lasts forever our entire lives so yeah so it could be a, a little bit confusing to him right and actually cameras at the garden show him outside of the garden and looking like he's stumbling as he's walking around. So they assume he's intoxicated, although he hasn't had a lot to drink during the game. I mean, you said he's only there one quarter too, right? Well, unless he was yeah. pounding, like that's not long. Right, exactly. Um, so he does say to his girlfriend, look, my phone battery's low. I'm not sure where I am. And she says, ask someone then, right? There's gotta be someone there here in the city of Boston. He does. Um, and she hears a man's voice not her boyfriend's, but a man's voice, shout out, 99 Nashua Street. So that's one of the parking areas yep. by the garden. Yeah. Um, she says, great, I'm 150 feet away. I just have to go around the corner and I'll get you. Um, however, when she gets around the corner, he's gone. She gets out of her car. She calls for him. She looks for him. But like all of the other men that we've discussed, he has completely vanished. But his cell phone is found at 99 Nashua Street. Destroyed. Um, but keep, keep the cell phone, the destroyed cell phone in mind because we're going to come back to it. Um, Interesting. So again, there's a search. And again, the divers and the sonar search the Charles because it's pretty close to there. Um, they don't find anything. And then on October 14th, they do find his body in the water. Um, so this is about seven days later, they find him. Now here's what's interesting about Will. He has suffered blunt force trauma to the head. His eye socket is so badly damaged that um, it's clear that something was done to him because the way that it was damaged, there's not possibility of debris doing it. You know, it's gotta be like an elbow to the eye socket or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, he has an, also has an injury to his left leg. So these injuries are not um, conducive with just what you may go through as a body drowning in the Charles, you know, like bumping against things or whatever, what have you. Um, they do an autopsy, and in this case, they do a toxicology report, and they request that the toxicology searches for the date rape drug GHB, which Dad mentioned earlier. And in fact, he's got it in his system, so he's been roofied. Um, his death then ends up ruled as an undetermined drowning, and they close the case. So that's Will. Close the case. Well, so... I've got some notes here, of course. Doctor contended that the bruising on the side of his nose and under his right eye could not have been the result of falling in the river. Right. Right. So, did, are, am I reading your notes or mine? Uh, probably both. <laughs> oh, a little bit of both. Okay. So, when someone falls, according to this doctor, they hit the bony prominences. So, they hit their chin, tip of the nose, cheekbones. They don't hit the recessed area around the eye. Okay, this doctor also explained that Hurley's wounds could not have been inflicted post-mortem. To have a really fully developed contusion as Mr. Hurley had, he would have to have the heart pumping. Hmm, interesting. So someone knocked him out, pushed him in the car and got out of there in 150 yards. It's gotta be. This is the one where the body went the wrong way with the current. So that's the other thing. Oh, go. So go. they assume 
Put these, to you, Jim. Yeah, there's a few things about this one. So they assume that he walked from the garden, Gito you know, jumped into the Charles, and then, you know, theoretically in six days would have floated downstream. But where they decide that he went to the water, his body is recovered upstream, like 80 yards upstream. So it doesn't make any sense. And no, we did no see, sense. so as dad alluded, there is a show on oxygen. Um, it's called the Smiley Face Killers, and they, they do highlight this case in it. And um, they do tests in that show where they cannot recreate a body, a dead body floating against river. They no, just yeah, can't recreate it. There's no way. I, yeah. But also 150 yards. She's literally around the corner, 150 yards. There's not traffic yeah. yet because the game is still going. Yeah. So it's not like she's sitting in traffic. That's a window of a minute or two. And we know there's a guy near him. And he is gone within one or two minutes. Yeah. Yeah, they put somebody in the water in a wetsuit. Very similar body build, I guess. And they also said they were trying to match the weather conditions that day, the wind speed, everything. And no, it, you they cannot. You just can't recreate that. No. You're not going to go against the current. Like wind, Anyone that's been in a river, there's I no mean, way. Yeah. No way. I mean, that's not It's not even possible. The, the body, the human body weighs, you know... 150 to 250 pounds. It's not just gonna get, you know. And water is so strong. The wind. Like, yeah. Anyone that's been in a river that's flowing, it's so, strong. You know. Yeah. Did you mention the date rape thing? Uh, yeah, I did. But okay. I'm gonna go into that a little bit deeper. But okay. I did mention that he was roofied. Um, so now I want to get back to his cell phone. Mm-hmm. So like I said, he he was on the phone with his girlfriend, right? And that call suddenly dropped, but she thought it was because the battery died. They find the phone, and she thinks. Um, or initially they think it, it's been run over because the phone has been damaged and that's possible. But, um, on further investigation later, uh, they realized that it's one of those old flip phones. It hasn't actually been run over. It was pulled apart, ripped mm-hmm. apart, intentionally destroyed by someone's yeah. hands. And yeah, and they could tell that because the hinges were torn. So when you run over a cell phone, you're squishing it. Yeah. And in this case, the hinges are ripped apart. So this is clearly... Foul play, in my mind. Clearly, yeah. Clearly, and it's not just an argument that gets out of control because there isn't enough time. Like, you have an argument that starts to escalate. His girlfriend's only a few hundred yards coming by car, so this is not a situation where, you know, this. I bumped into this guy and we just started exchanging words because uh, it's just not enough time for that. No. Um, so this is somebody deliberately um, looked to attack this person. And with the roofie, you would think he would have roofied him inside the TD and then followed him wherever he was going. Yep. So he was behind him the whole way, and if he knew he only had 150 yards now, because he would have heard her say that, he would be like, i got to act right he now. He did indicate to his girlfriend, uh, Gracia, that one of the reasons he wanted to leave that game is he was with an asshole. Someone he didn't, yeah, there was someone of his friends brought or he, that mm-hmm. guy was sitting behind him or, yeah, it was unclear how he knew the asshole or how they were related. Means nothing, but. Yeah, but there was someone he thought was just a total. Who could have dropped a roof, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Know? Some people yeah. are just mm-hmm. assholes. Yeah. Some people are just assholes. Yeah. yeah. Present and company. <laughs> and well, to, we've all been there where we want to get out of there. Yeah. Mm. This is not, I, I'm not feeling it anyways, and now this guy just ruined my night. Time for me to go. Yeah. And to kind of talk about the roofie drug for people who don't know, you know, what it's like. Um, I actually was a victim of someone roofing me, and it takes you from, 
I mean, like I'd only had one or two drinks actually. So this is going to be a total PSA, but I was out to lunch with my dad. Um, and so with my dad, we had ordered a couple of drinks, like two drinks, I think. Um, and I went from being like, okay, you know, able to walk to the bathroom on my own to completely blackout uncontrollably drunk. And that's not an exaggeration. And Craig and my dad will tell you that. And it lasted hours, by the way. I think I was. Yeah, we had to get we had to get Craig to drive you home. I mean, it was really that was bizarre. But I was like incapacitated yeah. for like six hours. Yeah, and I didn't do it either. Yeah, that's true. You didn't. Um, but as a PSA, um, PSA every week. I well, do it. yeah, right. But women, um, women or men in general, everyone should be careful because yes. in this case, I was out to lunch with my dad. But my dad and I went to we went to lunch every single week at exactly the same time we met for lunch in exactly the same restaurant, ordering basically exactly the same True. thing. Yeah. So it is very easy if you're you know, um, going to set yourself up to be victimized basically when you establish a pattern like that. So, you know, and I think of this as a, I'm also a runner, you know, and so one of the best advices for female runners when they run outside, particularly by themselves, is to never run the same route two days in a row or on the same day of the week, right? So vary it up, go different places, go at different times so that, you know, you are not setting Good yourself advice. up into yeah. a dangerous situation. Yeah. Great advice. And something else about um, GHB, the date rape drug, is that even if they do a toxicology report, you have to specifically request that it search for G, yeah. the presence of GHB in a body, which I also found that to be really interesting because imagine how many murders or crimes are probably going on, mm -hmm. you know, that maybe they don't know about, right? Because yeah. yeah. they don't automatically search for it. So he had almost double microgram rise. Yeah, he had quite a lot. GHB in his system. So their cutoff is 10. He had 18 micrograms. And it'd be funny to know, like, did he buy his own drink? Like, how... Because, you know, your friend's like, hey, buddy, I'm going to go, if that was the asshole. Well, true. But also, like, in the... Yeah. You know, when mm -hmm. we're given beers, right, in stadiums and stuff like that... They're already poured. Yeah, they're already poured. Or if they give you a bottle, they don't give you the cap. And that's even true for water. Like, they don't even give you the yeah, cap. You yeah, because you can't... If you have, like, a bottle, you can use it as a weapon. So they right. automatically take the um, cap off. But the other thing is, I, I mean... You'd be amazed at what somebody could do to your food and drink when everybody's that close and you're yep. just not paying Turn 100% your head. Pop it in. attention. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it only takes, you know, uh, you know, always keep your drink in your hand and always keep your hand over your drink. Yep. You know, That's especially if, yep. you're, if you're female, especially, but even a male needs to, um, you know, uh, and especially if you're in areas where there's a lot of parties or a lot of younger college kids because roofies are definitely common among college parties. Yeah, exactly. So it's important to, to just kind of notice this. Well, this goes back to last week when we thought he climbed in the back of the car. Be careful of your surroundings. Know who's around you. Oh, yeah, right. You know, it's the same theme. If you're more cognitive, you, you have a better chance at surviving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to do one side note. Gillette always told, um, we worked for Gillette for uh, mm -hmm. Opgrad, and they told us we had to take the caps because sometime, one time in a different NFL stadium, someone threw the cap on, and a player actually injured himself because they didn't see it. Oh, so they don't want players to be injured by projectiles that are so small. So that's why you have to take the caps. Oh, that makes sense. Oh. That yeah. he was coming along and it got stuck in his whatever and he fell and ended up like taking him out for the season, 
Yeah, and I was always told it was precipitated by... There was a Cleveland Browns game where they, um, there was like a replay controversy. So the fans started throwing bottles onto the field, which were mostly empty, but there were a couple that were still capped, and those actually hurt one of the referees because that, I mean, it's got some weight to it. You know, you chuck one of those things at somebody and, you know, it can hurt them. But, you know, it just goes to show you just never, never go to a Cleveland Browns game. Yeah. (laughs) The moral to the story. (laughs) All right, guys. So all of these men, except for John DeVario, are young, athletic, intelligent, and successful. Although I'm sure John is all of those things, but he was much older. So that's where I'm going with that. Um, They have their whole lives ahead of them. So why would they just go jump in a river? You know, it doesn't make any sense. And if they're just falling into the river, well, I have a couple questions about that. Like, why don't we see women just randomly falling into rivers? Or, more importantly, there are more games at Fenway in the spring and summer than there are in February, March, and October, November. So why don't we see this happening during warmer months? And there are more why don't we see old men in warmer months falling yeah. in the river? These yeah. are all within an age group, right? Sorry, Dan. Yeah. But yeah, that's exactly right. Like, why doesn't this happen more? The there law is... of averages would say the time where you have the most people out, which would be in the summer, would be the time where you'd have the most accidental drownings if it was really what's going on here. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm. And why did Will have so many defensive wounds or clearly look like he was in a fight? And why did Jonathan Stanley's cell phone ring days after he went missing? And what happened in those days before he decided to tie himself to cinder blocks and throw himself in the water? Like, it, it doesn't flow. Why did Zach Marr tell his friends to leave the bar so they could go off together and then just decide to walk to the Zakem on his own? It was six minutes, too. Why didn't they see him? You know, like, could he have gotten that far in six minutes that they didn't see him when they got outside? Why did Franco Garcia tell his friends not to leave without him and then they head out and then head out of the bar without his jacket and keys? Like, are we supposed to believe that this is all coincidence? No, it can't be. And the, the other thing that can't be coincidental is that they missed like if you were talking they missed one body in a search and then it showed up where they had already searched that you could see, okay, accidents do happen. But you, with this many people all having a search of a specific area and then the body turning up this is more consistent with somebody's trying to mess with the police like you know i'm gonna put it right where i know you guys spent the most time searching um or spent a lot of time searching and i'm just gonna do it to fuck with you, you know? i think that's a valid that's the first thing i thought yeah what why is he trying to fuck with the cops yeah, what's you know? going on here? And of course, we all know that probably something happened to him when he was a kid while he hates young boys of athletic built. Like, we all know why somebody chooses. Don talked about it last week, why they choose their victims. What, yeah. What's their psyche? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this person hates athletic people and wants to mess with the cops. Yeah, and and again... Poor just, persons. Just to point out that this person, like, so we don't know if there were toxicology reports done on any of these other victims, but even if there were, they would have had to request the presence of GHB. So they could have been victimized the same way Will was, but we won't know because the data wasn't requested specifically. So I found that kind of awful, I guess. But there's one more piece of information I've been holding on to and not telling you about. 
So what if I told you that near where many of the bodies were found, there's smiley face graffiti painted on a wall or, you know, on a pole or something like that. And, and you may in fact think like, okay, well that's just, people do smiley face graffiti, it's fun. Not necessarily, because in a couple other cities in the United States, this phenomenon with intelligent, successful, athletic men just deciding to drown a few days after or a few months after going missing um, are also occurring. And in each case, there is this specific graffiti found at the location where their bodies are found. So there is this theory out there that there's this network of serial killers operating on the dark web called the smiley face killers. And what they do is kind of like this challenge of, you know, killing random people, you know, or killing people fitting this profile. And then once they do the crime, they mark it with a smiley face graffiti. Seems a little bit far-fetched, right? So... Well, as a, as a much younger man, I remember, anybody ever hear of the zebra killings in the San Francisco area, right? No. They weren't killing zebras. They called this this particular crime sequence. It took them a long time to solve it, but it turned out that a group of men had a van, and they would pull up alongside their intended victim. They would grab them very quickly, and then they would do their awful deed, and then deposit the body elsewhere. So it isn't like this has never happened before. Mm. That's not true. It has. I could see it, because they could almost make a competition amongst them, too. Like... You know? It could be a competition. If there were 10 or 15 men all doing this, like I've killed this many, like, you know, like... Gang initiation? Exactly. I was going to go like motorcycle gangs and these type of gangs that you've seen. The what, drive-by when you take that class, yeah. You have initiations to what you're doing. Mm. Um, so this could be a different form of a gang. And you know? maybe how they're taking credit for it or marking. Correct. Gee, Jill, yeah. I hope you answer these you questions. You get the different wings, you know? Well, I would say... Stay tuned for part two, The Smiley Face Killers, next week. We're going to cover all of the work of those detectives um, along with the cases so we can, we can all decide if this is really a coordinated attack or simply a coincidence. Until next week. Bye. 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 Bye.